Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the Steelers game and a preview of the Cowboys game. Tom McLeavy is going to stop in for another McLeavy minute, and Justin Lacey is going to come by with his observations as well. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Week 1 Review Pittsburgh Steelers 23, Cincinnati Bengals 20. What a game. I know we lost the game. I know it hurts our standing in the division. It's a home loss, it's a conference loss, it's a loss to Pittsburgh all the things that we don't want to hear that are definitely negatives for the season. But man, if you just want to watch a football game and have the excitement and the highs and the lows and the breathtaking endings, this was a game for that. It was just, it was so worth the price of admission to start off the season with a game this thrilling. And we'll bounce back. I mean, there's 16 more games to play. We looked a little rusty when we first came out in the game, but we started buckling down and Joe Burrow found his form very quickly. And we saw that same clutch quarterback that took us to the Super Bowl last year. All right, let's go over some observations from the game. So the first thing is you can never count out Joe Burrow. I mean, five turnovers, sacked six times. It was looking ugly for a little bit. I mean, we even had a couple throws from Joe Burrow that we're not used to seeing. And what happens? You go down into the fourth quarter. He brings us to the brink of victory. You go into overtime. He does his job. So clutch, so cool. You just can't count out this guy. Jamar Chase is going to be known as the best wide receiver in this league very soon. You saw it with the routes. I'm going to go over his game a little bit later. But, man, it was just he ran the gamut of everything you could possibly do right and excel at as a wide receiver. He showed us already in this game. And the Bengals-Steelers has historically been a bloodbath, and this game was no exception. You know, we can go back to the past with your Keith Rivers broken jaw, Kevin Huber broken jaw, um, Ryan Shazier broken neck, unfortunately. I mean, so many concussions, knee injuries, Le'Veon Bell on their side, a bunch of injuries on our side. And in this game, you know, you had Higgins go down with the concussion, and I think that really hurt us in this game. Even though we moved the ball later, not having that number two huge threat on the outside definitely stunted the offense a little bit. Obviously, the big one is Clark Harris. I mean, talk about most valuable player. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of kidding when I say that, but... Think about it. He went out of the game. Wilcox wasn't ready to really come in and do the job, and it cost us the game, unfortunately. And you had Mixon limping near the end. I don't know if that was just cramps or just taking too many hits or too long of a game. But, you know, you had Boyd go out with some cramps too. So no major injuries except for really Clark Harris. And, of course, a concussion is no joke, but not too many season-ending ones for us. On the other hand, the Steelers had some ugly ones. Najee, he had he has that Liz Frank thing going on, and it looks like he re-aggravated it, and that was a really ugly-looking play. So who knows what's going to happen with him this year. And T.J. Watt with that torn peck, that could take him out for pretty much the year. Their center, Mason Cole, looked like he was hurt pretty badly. Highsmith had a great game, and then he was hurt. Hayward was limping at the end, unless he was just trying to stop the clock. I don't know. But think about that. That's a lot of carnage for one game, and as... Bengal fans playing the Steelers were used to it, and here it was on our home turf as well. What's the big takeaway from this? 
the offensive line may be in trouble again. I mean, even the first two plays were just like, wait a minute, this wasn't supposed to be like this. We, I thought we fixed this. And again, it was it was a very ugly showing when your quarterback is getting sacked six times and there was even more plays. I'm going to run through all the sacks later. I, keep, I don't mean to keep saying later, 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 but I just want to fly through these observations and then we'll take a deeper dive into this stuff. But yeah, lots of trouble on that offensive line. The defense was outstanding on all levels. The defensive front was stopping the run. They were doing nothing when Najee was in there. Linebackers had a great game. Secondary was really standing up. I know Deontay Johnson had a few catches later, but they really did keep him in check. They kept Fryermuth in check for the most part. Claypool was really only effective on jet sweeps, and you barely heard Pickens' name. So we were really holding their weapons down on all levels. And the big thing was in the fourth quarter, when there was only like a minute and something left on the clock, we only let up 15 seconds worth of time as a defense. You know, that could have been a drive where the Steelers could have ran out the clock and were facing the ball with maybe not even getting the ball back or getting it with 30, 40 seconds left and not really enough time to do anything. And the defense really did its job. We held them to a three and out in overtime. Just a, a whole bunch of very successful things from the defense, and it was great to see. And, you know, Pittsburgh's offense, there are a lot of weapons. Trubisky, I don't know if he's really the answer there, but they're a threat. They're going to score points on some teams, and this defense just made sure that they were locked down. And when you think about our offense, you know, we want to say they were rusty early and we had all the problems with the turnovers and sacks, but we did move the ball early. We were in their territory on a few of those turnovers, and that's what that's why those drives ended. You know, if, if we didn't have a couple of those turnovers you could probably throw another 10 to 17 points on the board. And then the offense was clicking really from like the mid-second quarter on, third quarter, big time. And the, the team, especially obviously Burrow and Chase, but just all the skill players, they're so calm and clutch with the game on the line. It's so easy to make mental errors or panic or you know not get it right when the biggest amount of pressure is on. And these guys just never seem to fold under pressure. And I know this was a loss, but that's going to ring true for us and really help us out going through this season and into the playoffs and beyond. Just having that poise under pressure, it's a rare skill, and our star players have that. And then there were some players that we were excited about from the preseason and the buildup, and they weren't used as much as, as we would have liked. Like Evans, I made a comment to one of my friends saying, I bet you Evans doesn't even get two touches this game. And unfortunately, that was the case. So they didn't use Chris Evans. They used Chris Evans kind of like they did last year, which was very sparingly. Dax Hill wasn't used as much as I thought they were going to use him. Maybe as the season progresses, he'll get in there more. But maybe it wasn't in the game plan for this game. But there were certain situations where I thought I would see him in there, and I didn't. I, I really only saw him actively in there on a couple plays. Osai was in there a little bit, but not as big of a contributor as we thought. Carter and Gunter weren't really, I don't know if Gunter even got in there. Carter was very infrequently used. So, you know, that's the thing. We get so excited about these draft picks and these guys that excel in the preseason. And then when the starters come in, sometimes they're not in the game plan as much as we want them to be. But as the season goes by, hopefully all these players that I mentioned will get more playing time and more of a chance to contribute. And the Steelers live up to the reputation that we hate. Like, there was a time where one of the coaches was trash-talking Chase on the sideline. I don't. Jamar didn't even do anything wrong, and I see the coach barking at him. I don't know, maybe jealous? And that's when Jamar gave, like, the symbol to, like, feed me, feed me. I, I just, you know, that's just unprofessional, and I don't care if there's Steelers fans listening. That's been their M.O. for a long time. 
And Minka was playing a little bit more dirty than I thought. You know, he had the one thing with Mixon where he's kind of rolling around with him on the ground, punking him a little bit. Definitely was holding down Mixon a few times in overtime to try to stall. And trash talking, you know, a couple nasty hits. But, you know, that's the game. And I'm sure if we did that to the Steelers, we'd all be happy. But I was like, wow, this guy's playing a lot more dirty than I thought he he was. And moving on to Trubisky, he's bad. I, I know he... he technically won the game and he had some scrambles but I mean his passing was off you're gonna see Pickett in that lineup very soon for them and I don't care what they do over there keep Trubisky in please but I, I was shocked at how off he was and I don't know he, he's not the answer for them and I'm, I know when they watch film it's not going to be long before they're going to put Pickett in that starting lineup on the other side of the coin Watt Hayward Highsmith were excellent Minka had a really good game too they have some really quality defenders on that team. I don't know who's hurt for how long, and that's going to put a dent in that. But, yeah, all four of those guys played outstanding and contributed to the Steelers' win, unfortunately. And I'm always conscious of the officiating. I always say I'll never blame a win or a loss on the officials. And in this game, I think they used restraint. They were letting the guys play. There weren't a lot of holding calls. There weren't a lot of defensive pass interference and holding calls until later. It was like in the fourth quarter, they started getting a little happier with the flags. And that's what we saw in the Super Bowl. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any stretch, but it's almost like that's when the refs can swing the game if they want. In the fourth quarter, they could just start throwing flags that they weren't throwing earlier in the game. As we know, Logan Wilson, that holding call in the Super Bowl around the goal line, they weren't calling that earlier on in that game. Just like in this game, they were letting the guys fight downfield. And then later, they started throwing the the defensive holding and the pass interference calls a lot more frequently and most of them were in our favor so we don't care as Bengal fans but it's almost like whoa did the refs want the Bengals to win this game and I know that's not true but it just it it passed through my head like if refs did want to throw a game or control the outcome of a game like there was some basketball referee that did this years ago technically that's what they could do right they could chill on the flags for the beginning of the game and then start throwing them at the end when it really matters and putting teams in position not to win. Hey, conspiracy theory over. Just wanted to throw it out there. You guys run with it if you want. And then I never saw Mitchell Wilcox get so much airtime. And the media just loves its carnage. You know, they, they see a guy fail. And, I mean, they showed him so many times on camera just to be like, yeah, this is the guy that blew it. And it's unfortunate that that's what it takes to get airtime for some people. And then lastly, T.J. Watt. I think it's a karma issue. We all remember last year when he was wrestling with Burrow and threw him down. And then after the pick six in this game, I know Burrow kind of went at him as well, but he was really happy to plow Burrow as hard as he could on his throwing shoulder and, you know, kind of show no mercy on him. And karma kind of got him in the end. You know, he's he's been a villain to Joe Burrow for the last two years. And there he was, you know, illegal hands to the face on Collins, threw him out of the way. I really ragdolled him, unfortunately. And then he goes to hit Burrow, and Burrow just squeezes out of it. And on, on when Burrow squeezes out of it, Watt tears his peck. And it was like, you know what, man? You messed with the king, and unfortunately, karma got you. All right, so let's talk about the flow of the game a little bit. It really was a tale of two games. It started off the Steelers up on a 17-3, to and then we came back and went up 17-3 to on them, basically. And it became a 20-20 game obviously overtime, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, we, we were a little rusty to start the game. Our offensive line was exposed. 
The turnovers stalled our drives early and helped their offense, and their offense was not moving the ball, but it enabled their offense to score. Obviously, they had the pick six, but it put them in good field position for those other 10 points as well. And then the only big plays they had were the flea flicker, which was a great idea. I give them credit for that. And that one screen to Gentry down the right sideline where Bates made the saving tackle. Those were two well-designed plays, and really they're only two big plays in my opinion, except at the end when Fryermuth had a couple big catches that put him in the field goal range. And then the Bengals did what we want the Bengals to do. They got up off the canvas like a boxer, and Burrow and Chase took over the game. Hurst, Mixon, Boyd all came alive. We score the field goal right before half. We know that's a big thing when you you score before the half, and then hopefully you come out and score as well. And then we did what we did last year and had a bunch of good second-half adjustments that brought us back into the game. We started really crowding the line and playing the run because we could see that Trubisky had no accuracy downfield. And then on offense, we were moving Burrow around a little bit more, getting some quick passes, getting the ball to Mixon in the air as well. It's easier to do a dump-off than have Joe Burrow sit back there like a sitting duck. So those were very good halftime adjustments. I give the coaching staff credit. That's what we were doing all last year. It's nice to see it continue. And then we find a way to hold them to a field goal after that big punt return created a short field. Burrow and Chase took over the game, as I said. Then what happens? We have the injury to Harris. Our kicking game breaks down. And a game that that technically should have been won by us wasn't. You know, It was a crazy game. A missed field goal, a missed extra point. They miss a field goal. It was just a war of attrition, thinking you're going to end in a tie. Finally, Fryermuth comes alive for them at the end, sets up the winning field goal, and us Bengal fans are disappointed, upset, and emotionally saddened. Let's talk about the coaching very quickly. Great second-half adjustments. And what I liked was there was very good play calling and poise when we got late in the fourth quarter and in overtime. We can argue on some. You know, there was one play on second down where they ran the ball where we're like, why don't you throw? We all know about the overtime third and eight. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I think overall, Coach Taylor was very poised, and he was calling successful plays, and it put us in the position to win that game at the end of regulation, and it put us in the position to win that game in overtime. Also what goes on to coaching, the fact that we were so rusty – Is our formula working? And I'm a big fan of not playing anyone in the preseason, keeping them healthy. But did it backfire on us a little bit? Did we come out just not quite as ready as the Steelers by the way the trenches were going, at least on the offensive side of the ball for us? I don't know. That's something that we have to think about. There has to be a balance. Maybe what we did this year isn't the exact way that we should be doing it. But then again, if we do it a different way next year and and Chase or Burrow or somebody gets hurt in the preseason – then I'll just be like, oh, why do we play these guys? So it's a no-win either way there. But we did look slightly rusty in the very beginning of the game. But defensively, we didn't. I mean, there was sure tackling. We were really stopping everything. Everyone was in the right spot. So it was really more a case of the offense more than the defense. And then I thought not having Chase active on the first three drives. Now, again, there was the pick six. There was a lot of pressure. There wasn't really time to go throwing downfield to Chase until we schemed it up a little bit better later. But if you look at the first three drives, there was nothing to Jamar Chase. Then starting in the fourth drive, we started looking for him, and that's when we started scoring points. On to overtime. The play I talked about just a minute ago was that third and eight. I understand the coaching philosophy. You you have a backup long snapper in there who's very questionable. 
and if there's a bad snap and you recover the ball, you get another shot at kicking the field goal. That's standard coaching mentality, and you know that's if you're playing it by the book, that is the way to go. But in this game, with that powerful of an offense, I say on third and eight, just go for it, because with Chase out there and the way Hurst was playing, and we were just hot and coming alive at that point. I don't know if I would have done the traditional coach thing and you know had the alternate kick of the field goal if needed. Now nah, just go for it on the third and eight, but. I, I believe in Coach Taylor and his play calling and his decision making. So just because this decision didn't work doesn't mean I'm going to chastise him or say that he doesn't know what he's talking about because that's absolutely not true. And then the other thing I think that could have been coached better, and I don't know if it's just what the Belichick way of being prepared for every situation prior to the game or making the right call within the game, but that last punt by Kevin Huber, we all know we snapped the ball still with 15 seconds on the clock. That's just that's a mistake. Whether it was a player's mistake or a teaching mistake, it was a mistake and it hurt us because it left 56 seconds on the clock instead of about 40 seconds on the clock. And I don't know who you put it on. Ultimately, it does go on the coaching staff. But if Mike Thomas is the one calling the cadence on that, which I believe that he is, Mike Thomas, the safety, he's got to have a little more clock awareness and and not rush that because there was plenty more time to take off the clock. And then the last thing is Wilcox not properly prepared and how many teams really give their backup long snapper a lot of work it's kind of like an afterthought I get it I think that Bill Belichick probably does you know that's his MO is to be just over prepared for everything and that's something that's a mistake that we're going to learn from you know from now on if Wilcox is the backup snapper or whoever it's going to be we're going to make sure that that guy is fully ready to go in there and be able to do the job correctly because he was just absolutely not prepared to go in there and snap the ball on game-winning kicks, and it's unfortunate. Because if, if we end up not getting a bye because of a one, one loss or if it hurts us from winning the division or even probably not but making the playoffs, we can point to that as, you know, we lost the game on, on something that we shouldn't have lost the game on. And another big coaching thing and something that I always like to look at is how do you come out in the second half? What's your first drive look like? And typically last year we were having extended drives with a lot of creativity and scoring most of the time. In this case, we went three and out. And it wasn't really the fault of the play calling. In this case, we start off first play out, mix and right for five yards. I like it. Keep the clock going. You know, get that run pass mix. Good idea. It worked for five yards. Then we tried him left for negative two. And at that point, the way Hayward was blowing up Volson, I, I don't know if I would have wanted to run left a lot unless we were going sweeps to the outside. Not not anything off tackle or in the direction of those guys. And that's what happened here. We ran Mixon left for negative two. So that could be considered not the best play call by the coaching staff. But it also be, can be considered a player error because they couldn't block down for that play. Then on the third play, we had Boyd and Chase on the right-hand side. Boyd did kind of like a stick route, and Chase did like a little bit deeper of a post, so Burrow had options on both levels. And that would have been a good play. It was well-designed. Unfortunately, Volson got pushed back into the pocket. Watt gets around the edge on the other side, and Burrow had to jump up and scramble into the middle of the field, and he was only able to get five yards, not a first down. We end up punting. All right, so the thing that a lot of people want to talk about and a lot of people are frustrated about was this offensive line and the sacks that were given up. So I always like to do a deep dive into the sacks to see exactly what happened. I, I hate to put blame, but who was responsible? And me, you know, maybe this is a lesson. All right, so the first sack, we had Volson beaten by Hayward badly, 
And Karras and Kappa were double-teaming Ogunjobi at the time. And I, I would have, in that situation, had Karras help out Volson, especially early in the game. You don't know what's going on. And that's what Geno Atkins used to do. Geno Atkins used to blow guys off the ball in the first couple plays because they didn't expect his strength. And that's exactly what happened to Volson for that first sack. He didn't realize... You can watch all the tape you want in the world, but until you're physically going against this man, you don't realize how strong that Hayward is, and Volson got beat. Second sack, Jonah got beat by a Highsmith spin move, and then Volson tries to help out, but kind of hits Highsmith and falls down trying to block him, so Joe goes down that way. So there's two already on the left side of the line very early in the game. Next sack, Jonah gets beat by Highsmith, who dips his shoulder underneath him, and Burrow gets badly blindsided. That's a play you can get your quarterback injured on that has to be fixed. That's just an inexcusable mistake to get beat that bad, that clean. And that's the play that it was the, It was technically a fumble, but it looked more like an interception that the ball pops up in the air and Hayward grabs it. So you can get your quarterback really hurt in that situation, and it caused a turnover, just a, a very bad error on the offensive line, unfortunately. The fourth sack, it was Mollett coming from the outside unblocked, now that's probably on Joe Burrow because he mishandled the snap so it threw off the timing of the play and it allowed the corner to get there before. I think they were going to try to get that play off before that guy could get inside because there was no scheme to block him. So I, it, I, I'm i thinking it was a, a handoff to Mixon going the other way, but we don't know because it just got blown up by the mishandled snap. So Burrow scrambles up. He slides pretty much to the line of scrimmage, but it was just behind the line of scrimmage, so they considered that a sack. The next sack... We had Volson pulling to block Watt on the other side. I, I don't know if it was the right play design for a rookie who's never really done that on this level. And that's what happened. Volson got over there late, and Kappa got pushed back by Ogunjobi. I thought it was a bad play design against Watt, but it was a little bit of a breakdown on, on both parts there. I would I would say bad play design first, but also Volson not being able to do his job, unfortunately. Then on the sixth sack, Volson got driven back into Burrow, and Karras kind of lost somebody who was stunting around the end. He, he let him go, and there was no one to help out there. Jo- Jonah got driven back. So it was really the left side of the line getting driven back into Burrow, and then Karras letting the stunter go, and Burrow got sacked again. And then there were three other plays that weren't sacks, but they were near sacks, and they were plays that were blown up because of, unfortunately, the, the offensive line play. One of them was Volson getting bull rushed, and Collins got beat, and it was a big hit on Burrow, but it was negated by a penalty. And then there was another play where Burrow ducked the Watt sack. That was the play that Watt got hurt on, and Collins got... It was hands to the face, but Collins really just got knocked over by Watt, and that's the last thing you want to see is your franchise right tackle. You know, the Joe Burrow bodyguard, supposedly your best offensive lineman, just get tossed down like that. And I know it's it's T.J. Watt, you know, really one of the best defensive ends slash pass rushers in the league, linebacker, whatever you want to call them. But that was pretty ugly. I'm glad it wasn't a sack, but, you know, not not a good play. And I, I give Burrow credit because Watt was all over him and he shook him off. And that's, again, how Watt got hurt, trying to hang on to Burrow, who just refused to go down. Then the ninth one, this came later in the game. Pittsburgh crowded that left side of the line and they sent a DB. And Jonah double-teamed one of the defensive linemen with Volson and never saw the defensive back coming in, and he comes in and blows up the play. So, you know, there's more good plays and bad plays by the offensive line, but those are all the sacks, and those are the plays that were blown up because of offensive line mistakes, unfortunately. So 
there's the truth. I'm not getting on anybody. I'm not calling for anyone's head. I root for every one of these guys. I'm not, I don't wish bad on anybody. I'm not even mad at anybody, but that's the facts on what happened if you watch the tape. And then the other thing that people want some answers to are the turnovers, the interceptions and the fumble to Hayward, which was kind of like an interception. So there was unfortunately five of them. And let's just blast through them real quick. So the first one, Collins got beat by Watt. Burrow couldn't step into the throw, and he did force it to Boyd. And that's the play where Watt and Burrow had a little bit of a fight afterwards. It wasn't a good judgment call by Joe Burrow. It was early. Maybe he didn't get as much velocity as he wanted on it. Maybe he he didn't see something, or maybe it was the pressure by Watt. But either way, interception there. I guess you could blame Joe Burrow for that, but there was pressure. And the Hayward fumble, which we talked about, Burrow got popped by Highsmith, who beat Jonah really badly on that shoulder dip. So that's that's not on Joe Burrow. That's on the offensive line to get hit immediately by one of their fiercest pass rushers. Of course, that ball is going to pop out. So that's an offensive line turnover. Then the second interception, Collins didn't get his hands on Watt early enough, and Watt makes a great leaping interception. And I can't really blame Collins on that. He was waiting for Watt to come to him, and he was just extending his hands to start hitting him, but before he could do that, Watt jumped up and made an outstanding play. I don't know. You can't really blame it on anybody. Maybe Joe should have anticipated the jump, but that was really just an excellent effort by Watt more than anything. And I'm not trying to be a Joe Burrow apologist on these. You know, I obviously he's my favorite player, and I, I have nothing bad to say about him, and I'm always going to defend him. But from watching it, I don't I can't blame all these turnovers on Joe Burrow. Then the third interception, it sounds so bad to say the third interception. I hope we never have to say that again. That was the Sutton interception over the middle of the field. Joe threw it into double coverage. It was a little behind Boyd, and I think a little more velocity may have gotten it there. I wouldn't he probably shouldn't have thrown that ball and we paid the price with an interception. So that does go on Joe Burrow. Then the fourth interception, now this is on fourth and six, where we weren't able to kick a field goal because we didn't trust the, the long snapper. So Joe tried to force it into Boyd. It's fourth down. you got to take some chances there. It, he was covered by one guy, and then the other guy comes over from his zone, and that's who makes the interception. It was a great play by Witherspoon to come out of his zone and grab it. But, you know, I guess it was on Joe again because he didn't see him there. But in that case, it's like, i got to get rid of the ball. Let's wing it as hard as I can and hope for the best. And unfortunately, it backfired. You know, a really ugly stat line. But if you look at the way he bounced back and brought us down time after time at the end of that game, I can forgive all of these turnovers because we really were not a position to win that game. Okay, some key plays in the game. Obviously, the pick six to start the game was a key play. And I always say that about NFL games. If the game starts with a kickoff return for a touchdown or a pick six, a lot of times that puts the team that made the mistake in a position to lose. It's hard to bounce back from that because there's momentum and you're down like right away. It messes up your game plan. So that was, even though it was just 7 nothing, that's a pretty detrimental play. The next key play, I would say, was the whole goal line stand against Pittsburgh when they had the second turnover and we're you know down inside the five-yard line. And we had Hill play excellently there, helped out on two stops. Tupo made a nice stop on Najee. Uh, Wilson and Pratt, along with Hill, made another stop. And then Reeder put some pressure on, and then Von Bell had a nice tipped ball on Fryermuth in the right part of the end zone. 
So they did a great job on that to force a field goal when that should have been a touchdown. So great goal line stand there. Next big play was a fourth and one. We have two tight ends in there. We bring in Adenogy. We have that right side loaded up with big bodies. And you're wondering, are we going to go mano a mano and just blast at that side and, and try our luck? Or are we going to do something deceptive? And no, we just went right at him. And Sample had a nice seal block. Kappa really moved his guy, and they opened up a huge hole for Mixon. And he was off to the races, 30-something yards downfield. And uh, it was Adenogy and Sample who actually sealed off Watt on that play. So excellent execution by these guys. And that was a big play in the game. We, you know, we're just hoping to get the first down, and here we are deep in their territory because of a good play call and excellent execution in blocking. Another big play that was four wides. Burrow's getting pressure. He starts running up the middle. I, the whole defense thinks he's going to scramble, and then he finds Chase over the middle of the field. I'm not sure. I didn't watch it a third time, but I wasn't sure if Chase, that was a designed route, or he saw Burrow scrambling and you know came into his, his field of vision. But that was a big play, and that run after the catch led to the Boyd touchdown, so that was a huge play in the game. And then the next big plays, there were all those chase catches. I mean, he just came alive at the end of the game with catch-and-run plays. He made that one goal-line catch at the end of regulation that probably should have been a touchdown, but great play to get the toe tap in there. And then with four seconds left, the big play. Chase is one-on-one -on, -one on the bottom of the screen. I am like, why aren't they rolling the safety over? I don't care if there's three wide receivers on the other side. You have to double-team Chase. They decided not to, and that was one, you know how the quarterback is going to look off people? Burrow didn't even do that for one second. He got the snap. He's just watching Chase the whole time and throws a perfect out for what should have been the game-winning touchdown. And then the negative plays that were technically big plays, the blocked extra point, Obviously, it was a slow snap. It took a long time to get it back there. There was an Eagles long snapper who was with him forever. His name escapes me, but I met his father, and his father was telling me that he used to work out with his son, and his son used to practice long snapping to him. And the father said that the ball would come back so quickly you could barely handle it. So these guys aren't just lobbing it back there. They're firing it back there. And in this case, Wilcox wasn't used to doing it. He floated it back there, gave a little extra time, and it was blocked, and unfortunately, Sample on that play, there was two guys. He had to take his choice. Are you going to block the outside guy or the inside guy? And he chose the outside guy. You know, you want to block the guy closest to the ball in that case. Sample went for the outside guy. Inside guy blocks it. I'm not blaming it on Sample. I'm just making an observation on... Because I was like, how did this guy get free? Who was supposed to block him? And that's exactly what I saw when I watched it again. And then on the game-winning field goal by Pittsburgh, Awuzie, Von Bell, and DJ Reader almost blocked it. I mean, they were coming. I don't know if they're typically on field goal block, all those guys, but because it was such an important play, there they were. And if you watch, almost each one of them got a piece of that ball. And unfortunately, it's a game of inches, like everything is in football, and it resulted in a loss. All right, some individual performances. We pretty much went over Joe Burrow's day. You know, he had the turnovers. He was under siege the whole day, running for his life, yet he remains fearless and unfazed, and he shines in big moments, and that's exactly what he did. That's the Joey B that got us to the Super Bowl. He had a couple nice scrambles. He looked really fast on that one. He's, he has a lot of field awareness. I guess we're wondering if the surgery to the appendix, you know, hurt his velocity a little bit because his core isn't fully normal yet, but he had enough velocity when it counted. There was a couple throws that you could say maybe not, 
But, you know, he was still well on the ball all over the field when it counted. And he had that perfect touchdown pass to Boyd while being pressured, a perfect two-pointer to Thomas. Jonah got beat on that one as well on a spin move again. And he was able to get the ball off to Thomas for the two-pointer. And the last pass to Jamar Chase that we talked about, which tied the game, was a perfect timing throw. You know, he threw it before Chase even turned around, and it was right there. So lots of good throws to go through in this game, and just a couple bad ones. Then wide receiver, tight end. As I said, Jamar is going to be the best receiver in this league if he's not already. It's the the routes, the speed, the strength, the confidence, the awareness. He shines in big moments. There was twice in the game where Burrow's in trouble and Chase finds him. You know, that's what you always want to do as a receiver. When the play breaks down, you want to find your quarterback's eyes and you, you know, so he can see you and he knows that you're an outlet for him. And Chase did exactly that. He had tons of yards after the catch. He was making just play after play when it counted on the tying drive and in the overtime. He made the one-handed catch and we was just out of bounds. And he showed he's got a little attitude, too. One of the players is barking at him, and he he tears off the guy's mouthpiece. I know he got the penalty for it, but I like the fire. Higgins had a couple nice catches prior to the injury. He looked like he was going to have a nice day as well. Unfortunately, his day ended early. Boyd had a, a couple really clutch catches and a nice touchdown. On that touchdown, I thought he showed good route running and good speed. So a good day by Tyler Boyd as well, stepping up when we needed him to. Hayden Hurst was jacked up, too. He had the false start early because he was so jacked up. But when he made that first catch, he was freaking, and he was dragging defenders. He makes the leaping catch later on in the game. We, we used him a lot, if you look at overtime in the fourth quarter, and he is just going to have a monster year for us. Mike Thomas had the two-pointer. Did a good job continuing that route on that play because it was a long developing route. He never gave up, did his job, and had the big two-pointer for us. He was wide open on a go route at the end that – Burrow just missed him, unfortunately, and later on in the game, he actually had the game-winning touchdown, but he ducked the contact at the last second, broke his concentration, dropped the ball, but it was nice to see him get involved, and as I've been saying since training camp and saying since last year, Burrow likes him as a receiver, and when he's in there, Burrow does look for him. On to running back, Mixon looked really good. He found a lot of yardage with second effort. You know, he's going one way, there's nothing there, and he's cutting back the other way and finding some yardage. Very effective in the receiving game. Took a few huge hits in that game. One where Watt was totally unblocked, which could have injured a lot of players. So he showed his toughness. He was in there. He had had a lot of action. Even as the game got late, he was there when we needed him. Pirine was blocking excellently. Had a couple good rushes. A good reception in the fourth quarter, a big catch and run in overtime. He was heads up on that fumble recovery too late in the game. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to advance it, but I think that he had a, pretty much a perfect game, to be honest with you, and I know a lot of fans get on him. Offensive line, they got overwhelmed. You know, it's Volson's first game, so you can't get on him too much. We all expected a lot because, you know, the, the Bengals media is hyping him up and he's got the size and you hear his backstory and, and you're thinking, you know, he's got what it takes But he's on Hayward, and Hayward is one of the best players in football at his position, and that's a tough matchup, and it showed. Volson was getting pushed back a lot, and that's what we want to work on. Him being 6'7", that could be a problem with guys getting underneath him and pushing him back, and that's what was happening this game because it seems like he has the strength. Maybe not Hayward's strength, but the strength to mix it up with most defensive tackles. But this was totally a leverage thing. And it was getting bad. I was really thinking they were going to throw in Jackson Carmen. I, I think I might have at, at some point, and I don't know 
how long they're going to experiment with Volson if he gets beat like that. Jonah had a rough game too. I mean, he let up two and a half sacks and some big pressures and didn't open a lot in the run game. I'm sorry, Jonah. Again, I'm rooting for you. I don't want to be saying bad things about you. I don't want to... It's just not fun for me to do this, but it was very disappointing, and I'm really worried about that left side of the line, and that's, that's what I was saying earlier. You know, we fixed the right side of the line, and I've been saying that, you know, all it takes is one weak link on that line, and there's going to be trouble, and we saw on the left side there were two weak links on that line, and that's Joe Burrow's blind side, and Joe took a nasty hit because of a missed block by Jonah, so it's got to get cleaned up. If, if Again, they picked up his tender for this year, He's a first-round pick. The organization loves him, and I, I, it pains me to say it, but he's not living up to it right now. And it's early in the season, first game. I'm hoping that he finds his rhythm and has that Pro Bowl year that we want out of Jonah, but this was a very, very poor start. Collins looked good blocking in the run game. He was having a little trouble with Watt, but I guess who wouldn't? You know, Watt got him with power a little bit. Well, he also got him with speed. So not an A-plus game for Collins, but not a game where you're going to be worried about him as well. I I think against most pass rushers, he's he's going to stand up fine. And Kappa and Karras were as advertised. They were solid in the middle. They didn't make too many mental errors. The one with Karras where he let up the stunt, that was one. But those guys played excellently. Kappa had the huge block to spring the mix and run. I thought that those two guys, I don't know the PFF grades. Again, I'm not going to play that game where I'm just going to judge people by what PFF says. I'm going to judge by the eye test. That's the way I choose to do it. And the eye test showed that these guys were doing their job excellently this game. Defensive line was outstanding. Reader was unstoppable. Hill had a very good game. Tupo was solid. Hubbard had an excellent game. And he got more effective as the game went on. And we saw that out of him last year. He's, you know, he, was, he was pretty consistent throughout the games, but you get him in the third, fourth quarter, and he really excels, and that shows a high motor and good conditioning. So it was nice to see him have an excellent game as well. He had that sack in the end zone too, and they, they, called, they didn't call grounding on it, unfortunately. You know, that's the way it goes, but it was a great play by him. And Hendrickson, that motor never stops. I know he didn't get any sacks, but he was very active. He had that one play on Trubisky where he almost slammed the ball out from behind. Had a couple nice tackles in the run game, so Hendrickson totally did his job. And the backups were kind of non-existent in this game. I didn't see a lot of huge plays, except really out of, I guess, Tupo played the best out of the backup defensive linemen, in my opinion. Linebackers, Logan Wilson was back to form. He was very active. He had a good game. He showed range and great tackling, and that's exactly what we need. He had a pass defense on Fryermuth, so that was good, too. Pratt. Same thing, active game, great at tackling, a big tackle for a loss on the play that Najee got injured on, and then on the very next play, he batted a ball. So back-to-back big plays late when it counted, reminiscent of the guy who saved the Raiders' playoff game for us. So great job out of Wilson and Pratt. Defensive backs, it looked like Awuzie was shadowing Deontay Johnson for the most part. Apple had a very good game. He had that big open field tackle to end their first drive. His coverage was solid. You barely heard Apple's name, so that means they, they weren't able to find Pickens when Apple was covering him. And back to Awuzie, I thought he had an exceptional game too. I know he had the pass interference in the end zone. That's going to happen. He let up a couple passes, but he was just as solid as last year, and I thought that Apple played as well as he did last year down the stretch when he was a dominant defensive back. 
I think Hilton did pretty well against the larger Chase Claypool. That's a tough guy for him to cover. That's a big size difference. And Claypool had a couple catches, but nothing really game-changing. And Hilton continues to show great tackling like he did all last year. Bates had two, in my opinion, touchdown-saving plays, the tackle on Gentry down the field. He did let up a Friermuth catch in overtime, but you know, you, you're not going to be perfect. I thought Bates had a, had a very good game, and again, probably saved two touchdowns or close to touchdowns. Flowers had some nice coverage in the fourth quarter on Friermuth. Von Bell was solid. He had a nice hit on Trubisky in overtime. He let up a Friermuth catch, but you know, Friermuth's one of the best tight ends in football, as, as much as I hate to say it. And we contained him for most of the game, but you know, he's going to get his catches, and unfortunately, a catch here, a catch there, and if you're the guy covering him, your name goes on it. But Bates and Bell, I thought, played excellently. I, I have no complaints about any defender in this game because it was a phenomenal defensive effort. Special teams. Uh, the uh, guy on the radio here is saying, oh, if the kicker only made their kick, and that shows, oh, I, I can see you really paid attention to the game. You know, it was obviously the long snapping issue. I just didn't realize it would be that much of a problem. When I saw Wilcox go in there, I was like, all right, you know, he's he's going to get it back there. It's a, it's an extra point. It's a short one. Boom. When the first one went bad, I was like, all right, he's not going to snap it that slowly on the second one. And that was a short field goal, too. And then that one was high. So it's just, it was a disaster. And... Yes, I guess we can say that Wilcox lost the game for us. I hate to pin it on you, Mitchell. It's it's unfortunate. And I, again, it, it was your performance that caused those plays, but I think it was a lack of preparation by the coaching staff, unfortunately. And then the last special teams, we let up one big punt return, and we had one good punt return, so they kind of equaled out. Harris got hurt trying to tackle Olszewski on that. That's how he hurt his bicep. He was, it was an arm tackle, and Olszewski ran through it, and then I saw Harris hold his arm. I saw it in real time. I, I know a lot of people might not have noticed because you're, you're watching other things, but I, I was focused on that, and I was like, oh, I think Harris just got hurt. And sure enough, that ended up being the dagger in us. So what do we take away from this game? We take away that even with all these turnovers and sacks and poor line play, we can win any game at any time. And we're 0-1. But there's not going to be many losses, so keep your head high. It's going to be a great season. Don't get down by this. You know, it's no shock that we could drop a game to Pittsburgh, no matter how up we are and how down they are. It's a divisional opponent. Anything can happen. And this game was a real fluke game. You know, it really came down to some special teams errors that cost us the game. That's not going to be the case from now on. We, we got a couple games coming up that should be fairly easy wins, although you never want to say that. And then when we start facing the tougher teams, we'll be we'll be ramped up and ready to go. I am not worried one bit, and I'm looking forward to week two. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey. Justin, how are you today? It's a day after a tough loss, but you know what? I'm doing okay. What are your thoughts on what you saw yesterday? You know, I just finally found the way to describe yesterday's loss is that the Bengals have both won and lost the game at the exact same time. Now, obviously, it went into the stat sheet as a loss, but it was a win. It, it really just take acts from God to be able to go out there and then miss an extra point and a chip shot field goal like that in the final minute in overtime. It just doesn't really happen. 
you think that once Joe Burrow threw that touchdown pass to pretty much tie the game and take the lead, you're going to win the game. You just felt like that was it. Close the book. You've had a bad game all game long, and let's just win it all. Let's just go ahead and get the win. We'll debrief and we'll talk about the the bad performance, but I'm just glad we got the win. That's how. That's what it should have been, but it didn't work out that way. So that was my initial thoughts behind it, and I'm not panicking. It's just a rough week one. So with that said, do you have any message for the fan base that might be panicking a little bit or maybe a little bit down on how things went? It's only week one. Just stay calm. Everything will be fine. Look, that game could have been over by after the first quarter with the way that the team was just turning the ball over too many times. Look, you got to give Pittsburgh a lot of credit. You know, when we spoke before in the opening roundtable as we was giving our prognosis of each team in our division, a lot of team, a lot of our fans was not really high on the Steelers going into this year, that they were a projected team. They finished either third or last place. I was not really looking at them in that light. I was just looking at them like, you know what? This is still a Mike Tomlin coach team that they still have some stars on their defensive side of the ball. They still have to get things figured out at quarterback, yes, but at the end of the day, you're going to get their best shot. Mike Tomlin is not going to go into the season and come out flat unless you are ready to actually beat them. So to the fans that's nervous and panicking, this should have been your little bit of a lesson to you still don't want to undersell the Pittsburgh Steelers Now, you can't let them start creeping back in your head again because you lost the game to them. But this was not a loss that made me feel like that, oh, my goodness, they're going to start having our number again. And we can't seem to beat the Steelers, even though it almost seemed like that is weird karma every time we play them. I never once felt like the Steelers were the better team, even in the midst of four turnovers. I'm sorry, five turnovers. I just never felt like that the Bengals were the inferior opponent. It always felt to me that the Bengals were still head and shoulders above the Steelers. They're in a different class in this day and age right now. And they just got to play better next time. That's all. They were a little bit rusty coming out of the preseason. They haven't played together. Meanwhile, Pittsburgh had played a lot of their starters in all three games. So with that being said, we just was a little bit behind the eight ball. And this is honestly what we what we signed up for when our guys didn't play in the preseason. You're going to have a little bit of rust. So we'll be fine. We got a couple of winnable games on our calendar for the next two weeks. And just go out and just take care of business. And we'll just put this so far behind us that it won't even matter. And we'll see Pittsburgh another day. I can't wait for that Sunday night football in Heinz Field. Oh, I'm sorry. In Aperture Stadium. And we'll show them that Yesterday's win against us meant nothing. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frankie. How you doing, bud? All right, my friend. What are your thoughts on what you saw yesterday? Well, you know, it's it's week one. The lack of playing in the preseason really affected them, and I think it affected the league too overall. Because some of those scores early on were very low, 7 nothing, 7-3, 7-7 going into the third quarter. So, you know, league-wide, I think it was uh, very mutual in the fact that a lot of teams took preseason very lightly. 
Joe Burrow wasn't great, but, you know, once again, it, it's due to the fact that he wasn't able to play in the preseason. The offensive line was terrible due to the fact of not playing in the preseason and not being able to be a cohesive unit. T. Higgins out hurts this team. When he got taken out of the game, he's a big cog into this offense, and that hurt them. Uh, Joe Mixon's phenomenal, and of course Chase is uh, once again phenomenal. But for all the bad play, all the turnovers, they were right there. They had the game won. If I had to point the finger at somebody that cost them this game, I'm pointing at two people. Number one, Drew Sample. He's been on this team for a few years now, specifically on special teams. And for him to let an inside rusher go and take a guy rushing from the outside is unheard of. And that's the reason why that kick was blocked. So I blame him, number one, for this game loss. Number two, I blame Huber. Due to the fact he made this team this preseason on the fact of being a holder. I know McPherson had a say, and I'm sure he says I'm more comfortable with Huber, and they went with him. For him, as being the longest tenured Bengal in the most games, with a backup long snapper, and by the way, you know, for a guy who you don't ever hear of being an MVP for a team, Clark Harris, this team was really affected by him not being out there. By And apparently he's out for the year. So having Wilcox in there and you know I know they practice in the practice week that he does a long snap snapping but game time it's a different animal so but for Uber to be a holder and for him to take a snap when they specifically are kicking on a third down for a field goal and he is accepting a snap where his knee comes off the ground he should have automatically laid on the ball because, as we all know, kicking field goals, it's a, uh, it's a rhythm. And when McPherson saw that the snap was high, he just probably had a split second had to stop his motion. And apparently they said that the laces weren't down right. So for Hubert to not lay on that ball, for being a veteran that he is, for knowing that they're kicking on third down because of the fact that in case something happens with a new long snapper, I'm pointing the finger at him too for this loss. And listen, I watched the the game in the bar here, and, you know, I'm just so fed up with people not knowing the game of football that they just see it, you know, right away when 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 that sequence happened, right away I'm, I'm hearing people coming up to me, oh, Luther, the Bengals would be looking for a new kicker. And I'm like, you know, really? This, 
you know, people don't understand. They just look at you know, what what the result was, but they don't put in a, an effect of what took place seconds before that kick. So that there there was a long snapper, and I, I'm looking at the, the video on the TV screen, and I'm seeing Wilcox practice, and there's no volume on the TV, so I don't know what's going on with Clark Harris because. We all know Clark Harris, you know, Frank is being like a Jersey. We know he's a Jersey guy. So I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Why is Wilcox going into the game? Uh, I don't know. I didn't check the inactives. So I don't know if they, if something happened before the game. So, yeah. So I think my days are done going to bars. I'm going to try and uh, watch the game somehow at home. But, Listen, Bengal fans, and also Mike Thomas. Nobody's. I I didn't hear anybody say this. Like I've been listening to post game shows, podcasts of seven hundred WLW, and Mike Thomas came in for T Higgins, and there was a play. I can't remember where, but I'll. And it looks like to me that Thomas ran the wrong route because the ball was going to chase in the corner and Thomas was standing there with his guy defending him. When the pass went in the air, the guy guarding Thomas just jumped and easily deflected it where the ball was going directly to chase. And I just said to myself, Thomas ran the wrong route. Little things like that got to be cleared up. Guys gotta be more prepared to go in. We we were a healthy team last year, basically. You know, uh, we gotta expect things are gonna be different. So guys on the sidelines gotta be ready to come in at any time of the game. I also uh, listening to the post game show last night. Tim McGee is on the show, and he said that he noticed. When T.J. Watt made that jump-up interception, he saw Tomlin and a defensive coach chest bump, acting like they knew what was going to happen, and they called the they called it. So, you know, a little thing, you know, a minor thing, but like he said, I I just hope Zach Taylor isn't like just rewinding the, the game plan from last year and just going out there and not think about changing it up. Just a little side note that I took in consideration to say, you know, we all forgot about Zach Taylor the way he was. You know, we all remember him, a coach taking his team to the Super Bowl. So a lot comes out of yesterday. But number one, we just wish we were playing Thursday night instead of have to wait until Sunday. And number two, with or without Dak Prescott, I feel bad for Dallas because there's going to be Cincinnati is going to come out on all cylinders Sunday. And I'm not a betting man, but if I was a betting man, I'd take Cincinnati big. Week 2 Preview, Cincinnati Bengals at Dallas Cowboys.
first play, three wide receivers. We have a tight end who's going to be on the side of Micah Parsons. So wherever Parsons lines up, the tight end will either be lined up there or he'll shift to the other side. And we're just going to run motion away from him. Tight end lead blocking, have Mixon sweep around the end. I thought Fournette on Sunday night had a lot of success running to the outside. So we're going to test those edges of the defense right away with Joe Mixon with a tight end in front of him. Next play, I say we just do the quick turnaround to chase. Don't risk any pass rush. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of gauge the pass rush as the game goes by and see how much time Burrow's going to have. But we're not going to take any chances right away. It's just going to be hike, instant throw over to Chase, and let Chase do his thing. Then next play, it's something that we did this game that I really liked. We're just going to have Hurst on the right-hand side, offset off the line, and he's just going to do a corner route. You know, maybe like a seven-step and then angle towards the sideline uh, on a corner route like you would see in the end zone, but wherever we are on the field. And we're just going to float it in there, get him going right away. Right after that, a quick slant to chase. And that's going to set up a slant and go later to chase. So we're coming right out of the box. A quick sweep, get the ball in Chase's hand next play, get the ball to Hurst, get the linebackers thinking that they're going to get targeted, and then go to chase again right away. Then I want to see Mixon behind Kappa and Collins. Let's test that and see how much luck we're going to have with that push on that right side of the line. And then I would say another play, sixth play, or whenever it comes up, a swing pass to Mixon. Again, testing the perimeter of that defense and getting the ball in Mixon's hands. So those would be my first six plays. Obviously, it depends on situation. You know, down and distance is going to dictate things. Or if you see a vulnerability on the defense or something that they're prepared for, you're not going to exactly follow the script. But if I was Coach Callahan, these would be the first six plays that I'd be going in with in some capacity. All right, so when we're on offense, what do we have to worry about? we got to think about Micah Parsons. He's showing up just like he did last year. I believe he had two sacks on Sunday night, and he was looking outstanding. And they're going to be watching tape on what the Steelers did to us, so he's going to be ready to go attack Joe Burrow. And that's going to be his job. I'm sure they're going to have someone wearing a nine jersey in practice, and he's just going to be going all out after him. And then other defensive linemen. Basham was in there. I, he got hurt. I'm not sure what's going on with him. I saw Demarcus Lawrence on the depth chart, but I didn't really see much contribution from him the other night. But then you go to the secondary, and Trayvon Diggs is an explosive player and a turnover machine. I think Anthony Brown is decent. They have Jordan Lewis as the nickel. Again, kind of decent. Malik Hooker's a good safety. Donovan Wilson's an adequate safety. So they're, they're pretty decent in the secondary, in my opinion. They have Van Der Esch as one of the linebackers and a couple guys that aren't really household names in there as well. So those are the defensive guys that I'm thinking about heading into this game. And strategy, you heard what I said at the top about the plays I would want to run. But as far as just overall philosophy when we're on offense, be aware of Parsons at all times. You can't sleep on him. You can't single team him. I, I want to see an H-back helping out, running back doubling, where, wherever he is, we switch the side of the play to the other side. You know, very rarely do you want to go at one of the premier defensive players in the league. We learned that last game with Hayward and Watt. You know, you have to be smart. And even Fitzpatrick had a great game. And I always thought Fitzpatrick was a little bit of an overrated safety. And after his play in this game, I realized, no, nah, he's exactly as advertised. But I don't want to talk about the Steelers anymore. This is the Cowboys. So be aware of Micah Parsons. And prepare for constant attacks on Volson and Jonah. They're going to follow the blueprint of the Steelers. What would you do if you were the coach? You would be like, all right, the Steelers were doing this to them all day long, so let's find a way to do the exact same thing. So those guys are going to need to be coached up. 
They're going to have to be prepared for anything and have Jackson Carmen at the ready and, and try him if Volson struggles. I don't know if he's going to fare that much better, but he has a year experience on him, a little more of a college pedigree. So don't be afraid to pull the plug on Volson early. It's not going to ruin his confidence. It's, it's not an indictment saying, well, you're out of the starting lineup. You're done forever. No. You know, he's, he's a young player. He's played four quarters in the NFL so far. If you need to pull him because he's got the jitters or making mistakes, then you do it. And what else do you do? Chase, 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 and chase. Even with Trayvon Diggs on him. Because we'll do it just like we did with Humphrey with the Ravens. It was like, oh, Humphrey's covering Chase. You know, just don't don't attack that. No, when you have someone like Jamar Chase, I don't care. Number one corner in the league covering him, let's go. Jalen Ramsey in the Super Bowl went right at him. Let's go right at Diggs if he's going to cover Chase. And all I'm going to say is good luck, Diggs, if that's the case. And plenty of Mixon rushing and lots of Mixon and Hurst passing targets as well. Boyd versus Jordan Lewis. I, I think every game I always say Boyd versus the slot corner, but this is a case where I think that, that applies as well. So those are my philosophies offensively on how to attack the Cowboys. Defensively, they're a bit of a mess now. Dak Prescott is out, and I, I like Dak Prescott. I think he's a likable guy. I think he's he gets a lot of hate as a quarterback, but I think he's, he's a good quarterback that can lead his team to the postseason. Unfortunately, he's going to miss six, eight, nine games, whatever it's going to be. And we're going to be facing Cooper Rush, or unless they bring in someone off the street. And both of those present challenges. We always seem to have problems with rookie quarterbacks and backup quarterbacks. And I'm hoping this doesn't turn into the Cooper Rush turning into Mike White from the Jets like last year. I don't think so. I think the way our defense played last game and the way Cooper Rush played this game, I think we're okay. But you you just never know. And then obviously you have to worry about that two-headed monster at running back with Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard, two excellent backs that could do a lot of damage in the passing game and in the running game. So definitely should be on the top of our list to be worried about this game, especially with a backup quarterback. They're going to be leaning on the run a lot more and leaning on the tight end, which brings me to Dalton Schultz, someone else you have to worry about. And I think we do the same formula. You know, Logan Wilson was covering linebackers a little bit last game, which was against my advice. But you have your Trey Flowers... Dax Hill, Von Bell, let's try that combination on him and see how it's working. And, and of course, don't let him get off the line easy. All these tight ends, that's it's, a, it's like football 101. Don't let him free release off the line. CeeDee Lamb is obviously going to be a big target for them as well. He's their best receiver, and they're very thin at receiver. And their offensive line is very suspect. So that's something that hopefully Hendrickson has a big day, Hubbard, Good luck stopping Reader in the middle. So it's. I think it's going to be a good day for our defense. Now strategically, what would I do defensively? Do what we did last game. Crowd the line and sell out against the run. Because it's, it's a backup quarterback. Not a lot of weapons on the outside. Let's just make sure that Elliott and Pollard don't kill us. And in doing that, I'd say some three linebacker sets wouldn't be a bad idea. You know, we're a two linebacker team, but... Maybe you have Gaither in there a little bit more this game because you know they're going to be running probably more than they're passing. So I wouldn't be afraid of, of running three linebackers. And then I would have a Wouzier shadow C.D. Lamb like he did shadow Deontay Johnson in the last game. I think that's that's good. Although the way that Eli Apple was playing, I'm sure it's, it's not that big of a difference. But let's have our best corner on Lamb. Let's crowd the box a little bit and just, you know, dare him to throw the ball downfield. I think that'll work in our favor. And I'd say against the pass, I would do some four-man rushes and just have some crowded zones. You know, you want to, you want to think, oh, send a bunch of blitzers and, 
you know, go man to man. And yeah, we could match up in that way. But if I think we can get enough penetration with our front four, and if you have seven guys back there in coverage, good luck Cooper Rush with finding people. You know, especially if you have receivers that aren't really haven't really made a big dent in this league. Special teams, you want to contain Cavante Turpin. He had an excellent preseason. He didn't really do much the last game for them. But how do you do that? You let McPherson kick the ball through the end zone, make every kick off a touchback, and some big hang times on punts or directional punting. Let's not get the ball in his hands and let some special teams crazy play decide this game. Wow, that sounds familiar. So there we are, going to Dallas big national spotlight our players are going to get to show yeah we lost to pittsburgh week one but we're still a playoff slash super bowl caliber team the whole world is going to know it at 4 30 on sunday i'm looking forward to it so much you know after you have a loss you just cannot wait to get back on that horse again and prove everybody wrong and make things right and that's exactly what we're going to do this game prediction and i'm standing by it 31 13 Bengals. AFC North standings. The Bengals are currently 0-1 and in fourth place in the AFC North. They trail the 1-0 Steelers, the 1-0 Ravens, and the 1-0 Browns. And the Bengals are currently the 14th seed in the AFC. But not for long. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Cowboys game and a preview of the upcoming game against the New York Jets. We're going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. Unofficial Bengals Podcast.